My name is Dr. Cindy Siwe Fansale at D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I on Twitter. And welcome to the Health Hour on this nippy Monday morning. So this morning we're speaking about multiple sclerosis. And I must tell you, um, it's one of those conditions um, that for me completely freaks me out. Primarily because it's an unpredictable disease. And um, I know that we've made great advances as scientists as to what multiple sclerosis is. We haven't really figured out what exactly causes it. And, um, yeah, I know that when I hear the word multiple sclerosis, I, I completely freak out. So we have two guests this morning, and um, we'll be chatting to them via Skype. The first guest is Helena, and we'll also be chatting to um, Crystal, and they'll really be giving us, you know, a lot of information about what it is. And I'll also be playing some clips for you, just so you can hear from, from a, a person that lives with multiple sclerosis. But the first clip that I'm going to play for you before we chat to Helena is just basically giving giving us uh, a background into what multiple sclerosis actually is. So take multiple a listen. Multiple sclerosis. MS is a disease that affects the central nervous system, the CNS, which consists of the brain, spinal cord, and optic nerves. Everything we do, whether it's taking a step, solving a problem, or simply breathing, relies on the proper functioning of the CNS. To understand how MS may impact the CNS, we must explore the disease at the cellular level. In the brain, millions of nerve cells called neurons continually send and receive signals. Each signal is a minute but necessary part of intricate CNS orchestrations that culminate in the actions, sensations, thoughts, and emotions that comprise the human experience. Normally, the path over which a nerve signal travels is protected by a type of insulation called the myelin sheath. This insulation is essential for nerve signals to reach their target. In MS, the myelin sheath is eroded, and the underlying wire-like nerve fiber is also damaged. This leads to a breakdown in the ability of the nerve cells to transmit signals. It is believed that the loss of myelin is the result of mistaken attacks by immune cells. Immune cells protect the body against foreign substances, such as bacteria and viruses. But in MS, something goes awry. Immune cells infiltrate the brain and spinal cord, seek out the myelin, and attack. As ongoing inflammation and tissue damage occurs, nerve signals are disrupted. This causes unpredictable symptoms that can range from numbness or tingling to blindness and paralysis. These losses may be temporary or permanent. And that is the definition of a multiple sclerosis. And you know, in the last, in the last um, few seconds, you heard him speak about blindness, about paralysis, maybe temporary, maybe permanent. And I think for many of us, we just have this overwhelming fear of, of multiple sclerosis. So it's a good morning to you, Helena. Uh, Elena's not on now. It's Christelle. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay. Hi, Christelle. Thank you for joining us this morning Hello. on Cliff Central. So Christelle, I mean, you heard the clip and, um, I know that you're involved with the multiple sclerosis society. You do a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of um, awareness around this condition. Um, just tell me a bit of how you got involved with working with multiple sure. sclerosis. Sure. Uh, let me um, just give you Helena's name that she's known by really in the world is Non. Non, so okay. So talk to her, you'll get a lot of more information about the Multiple Sclerosis Society. She's okay. the director of the society. Okay. And I got involved because I am actually a person with multiple sclerosis. Okay. So, yes. 
So I got to know Non because of her involvement with the society, obviously, and I add some questions, and then I met her. And I mean, uh, so, and then I became involved, and I was a member um, from about a year after I met Non, I was a member of the uh, Multiple Sclerosis Society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, just just your diagnosis, um, how were you diagnosed? What symptoms did you have? How old are you now? How long have you been living with multiple sclerosis? I think let's start there. Okay. I was 29 at the time, um, which was in the year 2000. So I'm 44 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I, mean, I was 29 years old and I woke up one morning with a blind spot in my eye. It felt like there's this... You know when it feels like you've got sleep in your eye and you can't see clearly out of the one eye? Yeah. So I woke up with that and I was visiting. I, I lived in Pretoria at the time and I was visiting my mom in Vereniging. And I woke up and, I, and it was a public holiday. and It's September incidentally. That's why I remember it so clearly. So And then I got into the shower and I stood with my eye under the water directly and I was trying to wash my eye out. And then when I got out of the shower, it was still like this. I mean, I don't know the English word. It was like this dwarf thing in your eye. Mm. And um, so, and it didn't obviously go away. And then the next day, I went to the optometrist and I said, something's wrong with mine. I, you know, my first reaction was, I think I'm going blind. And um, I then, the the optometrist looked and said, I see nothing. I'm going to refer you to an eye specialist. Send me to an eye specialist. The eye specialist sent me for an MRI. Yeah. Um, which is the magnetic resonancing imaging. Yes. And then looked and said, mm, I think you should go to a neurologist. Mm. To the neurologist. And, you know, I hope not everybody has this experience, but the neurologist, and I can say this because she doesn't live in South Africa anymore. Yeah. She was quite, she was this old um, maid. She was like probably in her fifties, not married. Her life was her job. And she, and she looked at me and she said, you have MS. Wow. And not a lot of people, when you tell them that, know what you're actually talking about. But I did because I knew someone who had it. Okay. And I started crying. And she said to me, why are you crying? You're not going to get married anyway. You're 29. Oh, my so goodness, I, Christelle. Was that yeah, her response? That was a response to me. So, yeah. you know, it, it was it was quite a negative thing. But now after the fact, what I learned was then... This is often one of the first symptoms that people with MS get. It's called optic neuritis. So your optic nerve is affected. Mm-hmm. So she gave me cortisone tablets. I took the cortisone tablets for about three weeks and then it cleared up. And that's what the thing in MS is. Often it is, uh, we call it relapses. So you get a relapse, something happens. Like, for example, your eye, you get optic neuritis. Or you... Um, actually can't lift your leg, it's dragging, or your hands have these numbness and tingling in your hands and you think like, is there a nerve pinched or whatever, but then it will subside and go away. Mm. The treatment is often cortisone, um, most most of the times intravenous cortisone, not oral cortisone. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that's the, the one type of MS where 
Basically, we're saying there's about there's four types. There's the relapsing remitting, which most people have. Okay, so that's a where, commonest one, the relapsing remitting. Correct. Okay. So, and that's what most people have. They they get a relapse. It's not going well, and then it gets better. But it's not to say when it gets better, they all fine in between. Because there's a lot of other symptoms that that are things that just don't go away, like fatigue. I mean, and we're not saying fatigue is not a thing where Oh, we all feel tired, you know. Oh, I understand exactly how you feel. I feel just as tired. It's not the same. It's a, it's a real, real fatigue. It's you. You just actually can't lift your head. But not everybody has that. Okay. So that's the thing with MS. That's a difficult thing. Is not the the symptoms aren't the same for everybody. Not one person is the same as the next. Yeah, and so yeah. In, so in, in your case over the years, um, Crystal. Do you have a GP that you follow up with? I mean, what in terms of your 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 long term care? What 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 does your follow up involve? And does medical aid cover any costs? Is this all out of your pockets? How are you coping? You know what? It's as I said, it's different for everybody. So uh, the thing is that you've got to have quite a good relationship with your neurologist mm-hmm. because that will be the person treating you. Um, the the thing is that. You can't predict the cause of it, the course okay. of MS. You can't say like when I was 29 and I'm diagnosed. So that the first is relapsing, remitting. Yes. But you, they can't say will it go over into secondary progressive MS, which is next, or will it actually go primary progressive? Or you know, it's so. And now even we look at they are cases where there's secondary progressive MS where the progression progression goes. Slowly, nothing really gets better. There are no clear relapses, but there are also people with secondary progressive where they still experience relapses. Mm. But in my case, um, I mean, I, I was 29 at, at the time. I was like devastated, but I, I'm also quite a positive person. So I thought this is not going to get me under, but I didn't think the course of my MS would be this bad because I, I read up and it said 10% of people end up in wheelchairs and that sort of well, thing. Well, that's what we know. And I mean, seriously, when I hear MS, I'm just thinking paralysis, you're going to die. You, you know, you'll just stop breathe, breathing one day and it's over. That's, that's, yeah. that's the impression that I have. Yeah, you see, MS is not a fatal disease. It's not like when you diagnose, there's a, it's um, like if I can, um, I think a lot of people also nowadays, because it's so, US is such a, prominent figure people yeah. compare it with mnd the motor neuron disease D- yes. it's, it's very different motor neuron disease is not an autoimmune disease and ms is mm. and with motor neuron people get diagnosed and they normally say mm, five years probably with ms there's no such thing okay so there are people that i know i mean I've, now obviously with my involvement involvement with the society i've met a lot of people with ms and I've met people, they were diagnosed 20 years ago, and they're still absolutely fine. I was diagnosed in 2000, which is, what, 15 years ago. I am now in a wheelchair. So in my case, it progressed. And, you know, I was also, the the medications that people go on, we call them disease-modifying drugs, because really they're not... uh, Cure, there is no cure for MS. So, and 
And a lot of people benefit by these disease-modifying drugs, these interferons. They inject themselves either every second day or weekly. Um, But in my case, I was also, I mean, I also used those disease-modifying drugs, but clearly it didn't make any difference in my progression. Yeah. So it's it's a a bit of a, I'm going to try this, but I'm not sure that it's going to work, you know. And I think that's, where, that, that's where the unpredictability, Christelle, that's, that's, that's a whole exactly. unpredictability of the condition that, that, um, that sure. I'm speaking about. But tell me, Christelle, let's just go back to the fact that you, um, okay, you're, you're now currently wheelchair bound, but um, prior yeah. to that, in terms of, of, um, the, the, the disease modifying agents, were you paying these out of your pockets or were you, no. are, are you on medical aid? How has that worked? I'm, I'm really curious about I that. I'm on medical aid. So for me, and you know, it's very, very expensive. I mean, at that time, the, the firstly, in the first year when I was diagnosed, they wouldn't approve it, the medical aid, because there were, there were criteria things and all of that. But now, um, MS is one of the 26, there are in all medical aids, there are 26 prescribed minimum benefits yes, for co- your conditions, conditions that they have to pay for, yeah. Correct, correct. And, um, so, Medical aid does pay for it, but you've got to have a good medical aid. I mean, the disease-modifying drugs are now around, I think it was 10,000 at the time when I used it. Mm. And it's now around 12, I think. Yeah, very expensive. It's very expensive. It is a, it's an expensive illness. And, you know, you've when you start getting things like wheelchairs and you, you've got to put grab rails up in your bathroom and some people may have to make their shower bigger. So, you know, it's hard. And some people have to get full-time carers. Yeah. So they are the the cases where it's very bad. I mean, I know of, of a young guy who was diagnosed eight years ago or something, and he is he's blind. He's totally um, dependent on carers. He can't do anything for himself. Yeah. But those are the isolated cases. Mm people have relapses and they feel bad and you know that sort of thing but it's actually what I say to people is actually sometimes even worse for those people because it's an invisible disease so some people may think you're just putting it on Mm. and you're pretending like you're feeling sick and you know actually in my beginning days my, my first seven years basically yeah I was still dancing on tables mm-hmm. and um, doing all the hangouts in discos. I, w- I was still young. I was just living my life. Mm. And I, I had a very corporate job. I, I worked in Santon. Um, so, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones because the company that I work for allowed me to work from home. So for the past five years, I've worked from home. Okay, so they have adapted. They adapted everything to suit your to suit your situation. Correct, but there aren't many people as yeah. lucky as I am. So a lot of people are medically bored because they can't actually. Maybe I'm a bank teller. I can't go to the bank and stand the Any whole day longer. anymore mm. because I walk with a crutch. So and I just can't because my legs won't carry me to stand the whole day. So. Yeah. A lot of people can't work, and that obviously impacts even more on the problem of this expensive illness, and now you don't have a job. Yeah. 
Sure, it's t- uh, yeah. Well, if you just tuned in, I mean, I'm chatting to Crystal, who who is living with uh, multiple sclerosis, and we're chatting about um, the condition and just living with the condition. You can call in on zero eight six one triple five one eight nine. You can tweet us at cliffcentral.com, or you can tweet me at docsindi d o c s i n d i. Um, Crystal, when when exactly did you become wheelchair bound? I would say, you know what, it was so gradual. I can't even give you an exact date, but. As I said, I, I was diagnosed in 2000. Yes. Uh, I moved from Johannesburg to Cape Town in 2005 for love. Um, <laughs> That's <laughs> sweet. And the love is still there, so he's awesome. Oh, that is uh, so sweet. Yeah, and I mean, he, when he met me, he knew about the whole diagnosis and the whole story. I was already diagnosed. So, you know, there are those people that just amaze you. So... And uh, then I moved and I was still fine. And I would say about end 2008, I started feeling like now I can't. And then I went to the mall, for example, and I couldn't get from the entrance of the mall back to my car. I was on my high heels. Yeah. And I I just, it was too far. I couldn't. And then I started realizing, okay, now this is progressing a bit. Yeah. And. When I sort of looked and then I started walking with one crutch, um, still driving. It was everything was still fine. Um, I was walking with one crutch and then I started gradually, I started going onto two crutches and my left hand side of my body was more affected than the right, which still is the case. So then I sold my car because it was a normal manual car, and then I bought an automatic little car mm-hmm. because I couldn't do the clutch anymore. Mm. So, but, but then I could still drive. And then I started walking with two crutches, and then I started, as we went out of the house to events or whatever, I would take the one crutch and hold onto Francis' arm on the other hand. Um, and then eventually when I started going to the mall, I realized I couldn't do this. I just couldn't. So I would go in a wheelchair. I would, so then I got a wheelchair and my sister-in-law would fetch me and then I take the wheelchair when I go out of the house. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just sort it's of. It's gradual. It, it's gradual. So you can't say, but you real, and you know, it's, it's, I mean, I could be quite a judgmental person. So I would always think these people with MS that are in wheelchairs, I think they just gave up. And you know what? It's actually not the case. You just realize I actually I can't walk anymore. So you're in your mind, you want to you want to lift that leg and you want to move forward and you just can't. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, that's it. Just went very gradually. So yeah, I guess it's good in a way because you sort of have to adapt as you go along. Yeah. And and just in terms of your emotions and dealing with it, I mean, have you ever found yourself slipping into depression? Like, how do you cope, Crystal? I mean, you sound quite upbeat, um, but how have you managed to cope with with your new life, as it were? You know, I think um, they are the the depression is definitely one of the things that people fall into. Mm. Um, I think I'm not that way inclined, but having said that, I mean. I had adversity from a young age in my life, so I had to deal with things. My father died when I was 11, but I have a mother who bounces back from everything in life. Mm. So I think it was a good example, but I think it's also my natural disposition. And 
having, I mean, in saying this, I'm not saying I don't have moments because of course I have those days when I actually think I actually just can't take the suckling anymore and I just cry. Mm. And, but you know what? You have to lift yourself up and, and I'm fortunate in my life. I have really, really good friends. Okay. So I've got a great support structure. And, and as I said, Francesca is this awesome person in my life. So, and I've got great family around my sister-in-law, my brother. So, you know, my mom lives far, but she's always just a phone call away. And if there's something I need, I know she'll get on the first plane. So I think, you know, if you surround yourself with positive people also, and, and you know what, you, you also have to, uh, this is what I always say to people as well. You've got to realize that people are going to talk behind your back. I know my friends, the one will say to the other one, oh, you should see what Crystal looks like now. Oh, uh, Crystal. But you know what? What I'm saying is it's not a bad thing. People don't mean it in a bad way. You've got to take it in. People are going to talk behind your back, and it's also it's very much only because they care. Mm. You know, it's a natural thing. So I just think you've got to not take everything personally, and you've got to live your life and do the best you can with what you have at that current moment in mm. time. So it's just a little bit more planning now. When I go out to a restaurant, mm-hmm. I still love a phone before I go, and I say. Do you have disabled facilities? Can I get in with my wheelchair? Is the toilet close by? Because in a lot of people with MS and me as well, the bladder is affected. Mm. Um, you know, so so you just plan a little bit better. And I love going to see live shows. I'm a big fan of Corin Zoyden. And when she's somewhere, then I phone and I go, can I get in? Is there in? You know, so mm. you just plan your life differently. And I must tell you, I mean, when I, uh, gosh, I, you know, I guess we go through life, we see people in wheelchairs, we see people with crutches, and we just walk past. We don't even, we're not even aware or cognizant of the struggles that they're going through. Like just, just the fact that you might get to a place and there's no lift, there's no lift for a wheelchair, you wouldn't be able Absolutely. to access that place. Exactly. I, w- I was talking to a friend about it yesterday, and I went to a hospital uh, in August last year. Yeah. And. It's a hospital, okay? And they said, I, I wanted to go to the wheelchair toilets. And they told me where it is, and I went there. I couldn't close the door because it, the space in the wheelchair toilet was too small. But when you have your footrests on your wheelchair, you mm. can't close the door. Oh I'm in a fortunate position where I can take the footrests off. I know how to do it quickly. But there are people, not even people with MS, just any other disabled person, how do you build a hospital and build a wheelchair plan? So I always say, I think people who, who plan wheelchair spaces, who plan, I mean, sometimes they make an incline so freaking skeins that you actually can't get from the bottom to the top. You know, uh, people should get into wheelchairs and see is this going to work? Mm. Well, I mean, that's why we have, I mean, that's why it's good to have people like you who are. You know, yeah, no, gosh, I can't believe this. You know, mm, it's, and it's things we take for granted. Everybody out there, don't park on the disabled parking for five minutes because that is open. Oh, Crystal, I'm guilty of that. Minutes, yeah, but I don't do it anymore. Five minutes, the one with the wheelchair will come. Yeah. 
No, I don't do that anymore. I think I did it twice and then I don't do it anymore because I realize yeah. that I'm being extremely selfish. And you're right. Yeah. In those five minutes that I've nipped into the Woolworths, someone yeah. could come and need that space. Absolutely. Wow. And in terms of your, um, your family, um, how does your family cope with, 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 with your condition? You know, I think it's also different for different families, I almost want to say, because some people say that they just don't get any support and their family think, you know, why are you always so tired and why don't you want to do things with us? But as I said, my family are quite good. Um, I mean, we still do things. And um, I think it's sad for a parent if I think, you know, um, if I look at my, but my mom is not the type of person to cry and feel sorry for me. But I think in her binnakamer, uh, almost I want to say, you know, she would think it's so bad that this happened to my daughter. Mm. I think it's like any parent would not want anything like this for their child. But, you know, it's like Francia always says, that life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. And I think your mother as well. I mean, I'm sure about this that she now understands that it wasn't really her. I mean, it's, uh, we know exactly. that we know that multiple sclerosis is the cause. We don't really know what the cause is. We know that certain exactly. areas, people that live further away from the equator, are more likely to have it. But it's not. No. It's not a a hereditary condition. Not at all. And uh, you know, I think so. Yes, some people may think, "What did I do? Did I do something wrong?" Did I give this to my child? But it's not hereditary. Nobody knows what causes multiple sclerosis. And that's I mean, that's there are a lot of theories about it could have could have been a virus you picked up mm. somewhere, or, or maybe not, or you know. But we don't know. I think if we knew what caused multiple sclerosis, we would be closer to the cure for yeah. multiple. Okay, Crystal. Well, we're going to take a little break now and okay. we'll be back afterwards. But, um, yeah, no, thank you so much for giving us, um, insight into yeah. what it is to, to live with multiple sclerosis. I mean, you're very honest and open. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. CliffCentral.com You get up in the morning, and your day's always starting with a reminder that, that you've got MS. Every single because one of the things about this illness to help counterbalance all the negative effects is really, there's three things I, I pay attention to. Stay on top of my medication, mm -hmm. stay on top of exercise, and stay on top of eating right. So every day I get up this in the morning, I start my day off with this bag. So how many are there here? I can't even count um, them. There's about 27. Oh, my goodness. There are about six different medications for MS. Mm -hmm. All of them are injectable. Excuse me, just a second. Mm. That's not shooting down too far. <laughs> no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You can keep it on there. Okay, yeah. Three, six, five days a year. Every day. Wait, what, what these do in many ways is remind you that you're sick, though. Every single day. Your daily metronome is around taking pills. You should ask my wife.
if there is the one thing that she'll tell you that I say consistently is, can I just forget it one day? Once. Can. Part of the, this whole story that sort of dri- would drive me crazy if I were you. You've got a disease without an obvious cause, without a cure, that you don't have a ton of control over, even though you can control how you respond to it. There must be a day when you go, you know what? It's not fair. It's just not right. It's not going to be a good day for me. I have those days, damn it, I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of being sick. And if I spend less time focusing on how miserable I am, but understanding that there's some way that I can take that misery and turn it into the benefit for people bigger than me, I start thinking about stuff outside of me, that stops hurting. Whoa, that was intense. And that's a clip of Dr. Oz speaking to a man that's living with multiple sclerosis. And yeah, that's what we're speaking about this morning. A condition that I know as a, you know, the medical doctor, I misunderstand and um, I have a very doomsday approach or understanding of MS, but it's really great. I mean, chatting to Crystal was really eye opening. And now on the line, we have Non Smith and she'll be telling us more about the multiple sclerosis society. So thank you so much for joining us, Non. Thank you very much, Dr. Cindy. I called you Helena earlier on, and then Crystal reminded about, well, she, she, she pointed out that the world knows you as Non, but I'm, yeah, your official name is Helena, and so where did the name, where did the nickname Non come from? It's just like your mother started calling me, uh, Nonny, my grandmother was Onona, and it just stuck through the years. So during my school years, I was called Helena, and, uh, but my nickname stuck, and that's where I am, Nonny. Uh-huh. Okay, well, no, thank you so much for, for being on the show. So, um, yeah, so we've been speaking about multiple sclerosis. I mean, a condition that's, that's, well, not well understood by, by many of us. And what's always of interest to me when I come across people that, um, are part of organizations with a, you know, special interest in certain conditions is how you got involved with, with this, you know, with the, the specific organization. So how did you get involved with the MS Society? Well, there was a person with family, uh, with MS in our family. And uh, it happened many, many years ago. It started out in the 80s uh, already. So I've been exposed to MS since then. In fact, the interesting thing about the history of um, where I got involved was in the 80s, there were not even MRI scanners in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So the first ones that came, came to the Tigerberg Hospital when it was really a smart establishment. And the other one went to Joburg General Hospital. And those were the only two cases. And at that stage, the radiographers who um, who did the MRI scan and read the results were actually better informed and uh, uh, than the neurologists. Mm. I remember the radiographer saying to the neurologist, "Look here, doctor, this is what MS looks like." And then they showed them these white little spots, which we call lesions. Mm. And and so when you formed the society. Just out of interest, how many members belong to you? How many members do you have as part of the society? Well, um, that's very, the representation of the members of the society is not a, a true reflection of the people within us in South Africa, as it's very difficult to get a hold of everybody, as you can understand. Yeah. So we, we have about um, just more than a thousand people on our database okay. with MS. But there's definitely about 5,000 people with MS in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And the, the ones that we have 
are obviously the ones that's been living with MS now for many years, longer than Christelle. People who've been living with MS uh, for the last 30, 40 years. Okay. And the new ones that are not in the database are ones that can go to a doctor, has a medical aid, been taken on an MRI, put on a regime, and they don't necessarily know or have the need until they hear about us, like on a program like yours, which is awesome. Okay. And just, I mean, you heard the clip I played before I started chatting to you. Just the amount of medication that people have to take. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. I mean, on average, how much would a person that had to pay cash for their medication be paying? Do you have any idea, None. Yes, I have a very good idea because that's part of my job yeah. is to intervene and the advocacy with medical aids and so on. It can cost anything from prescribed medicine and injectables, anything from 12,000 to 29,000. Um, it's, uh, it's not, it's not payable by the normal person. You have to have a medical aid. And one of the, the huge accomplishments that the inner society has achieved was to uh, set up the prescribed minimum benefit guidelines uh, three years ago. So it's already outdated, but it cost the society um, in the excess of 150,000 grand to put that together with a panel of nine neurologists in South Africa, and it was um, accepted. Um, that was the biggest, biggest accomplishment to get a medical aids to have to pay out the medication because it's a PMB. Um, but then they still... Uh, fight. They still find ways of declining and then we take them to court. And we have the most amazing support of a person with MS who is also a medical doctor and she's also an attorney. She lives in Pretoria. Her name is uh, Dr. Samantha Gregory. Okay. So she does that pro bono stuff for us. Oh, that's fantastic. Because you know what? You need to take these medical aids on. I mean, I see it with the work that I do. I work with HIV and they're they're always looking for a loophole. And, you know, you you have to have someone speaking for the patients and making sure that the thing, you know, the the, the thing gets done, the correct thing gets done. That's our job. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we do. And, uh, you know, we we just at the moment we're busy with the uh, genesis against the um, Minister of Health. Okay. And I think it's going to be um, a draw, sort of like. But, yeah, it's uh, not easy for the person out there because the medical aid, if, an, if you're an uninformed person, most of us are uninformed. We pay our medical aid and we think things are going to be fine. But yeah. then when something happens and you have to accept what they say, uh, many people do, unless they hear that there's a way that we can help them, support them. So it's important for people to know that they must not just accept the answer of, uh, no, we can't. Yeah, no, we can't help you. Know that's true. That yeah. is so true, non. And tell me, in terms of the demographics of MS, I know that. I mean, I mean, I was reading about it the other day that the further away you are from the equator, the more likely you are to have. Um, well, not more likely, but they found that people that suffer from MS are people that generally don't live around the equator, and they figure that it's to do with sunlight, exposure to sunlight, and possibly vitamin D. What I want to know, um, just from what you've seen, have you seen any patterns in terms of demographics? Is it, does it mostly affect white people? Does it affect black people? What have you seen in, in your in your in your time with the with the society? Yeah. Very interesting question, and I really like to talk about that because in my in my lifetime it was supposed to be the so-called white disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, MS was not in Africa. Now, that excludes the African-American because MS in America, uh, under the African-Americans, is right as much as 
in white people. Okay. There, there's no difference. Yeah, okay. you know, Barack uh, Obama's um, wife, Michelle's mother, had MS. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, they have MS. In Africa, there were no MS recorded. Now, there are many, many reasons. There could be that they didn't get to a doctor or they didn't, uh, they don't have medical aid, they were not informed, they looked after their own and so on and so forth. But what has happened in the last seven, eight years, black people, and now I'm excluding brown and Indian, because brown and Indian have MS as much as white people. So it's, it's quite, it's quite a controversial if you, if we say it's white, because Indian and, and colored feel very excluded because they suffer as much as we do. Mm-hmm. But the black people that have been diagnosed lately, uh, to my knowledge, are people who are in jobs and they have access to medical aids and they go to a neurologist and they get diagnosed. Many of them, many of them have the same symptoms, but they don't go that, that route. Okay, so you're For saying... So you're saying that we as clinicians are actually missing the symptoms of MS. So we could actually have more people with MS, you know, more black people living with MS, but we're missing it. We're not diagnosing it. I'm absolutely sure of that. Yeah. Um, but there's also another point that I find very interesting, and that's it's true. It was always true that further from the equator, and MS was called the Nordic the ice disease. Nordic uh, mm. countries started in Scotland and Norway and so on. And it's true because there's so much MS there that it's, there's MS cities around mm. the world. So in South Africa, it's very, it's quite a rareish disease, but it's, it's picking up. In the last 12 months, I've spoken to 158 newly diagnosed people. Yep. If that doesn't make you, you know, raise yeah. your eyebrows. And, uh, and the other thing about the, um, closer to the equator, people who live in Ghana, um, Botswana, um, um, of course, Zimbabwe, but that's not. They phone me. Mm. They get hold of us on the internet. They phone me and they tell me that they've been diagnosed and that they, nobody knows what they, what their condition is about. And they are lost because there they are in the middle of Africa being diagnosed with MS. There's no support structure. They don't know anything about it. And the family has no idea. So it's almost like the women. And you know, this is a, Two-thirds of women disease. Oh, so it primarily um, affects women. Yeah. Uh, lots of men have it, but but it's, um, I would say two out of three is women. And uh, so women in Africa, they sit there and they are desperate for help and support, desperate for somebody to explain to their family what really is happening because you know it's an invisible disease and you know people think you are actually and making it up because they yeah. can't see what you're telling them. Yeah. And I mean, look, I was reading through the four different types of MS, and that was really interesting to me. But just on a day-to-day basis, what is a typical, like, you know, like, for example, Crystal is now wheelchair-bound. What would a typical day in Crystal's life look like? I mean, do you have bad days when you can't get out of bed, or are you pretty much stable and you're able to do things and get on with it? You know, I would really like to give you the positive answer, but it's not true. It's terrible. It's a disgusting condition. You wake up in the morning and you have that same feeling every day of I can't lift my head. The, the, the difference is the person's attitude and how they are going to tackle this condition in MS, whether they're going to live with it or whether they're going to deal with it. And um, it's very important to understand that there are people who are not naturally inclined to be positive. So there's a huge amount of people that are 
going through very, very bad uh, situation. Christelle is going through the same. But people like Christelle who have decided that I will have a, a positive outlook, I will try today, and I will make, if I can use her as an example, she really tries and she succeeds very well in in keeping up her relationships with friends and family. Mm. She knows that that is her source to the outside world. She, uh, it's very, people within us are mostly demanding. They are frustrated. Mm. They are, um, they feel isolated. They feel alone. And those feelings naturally turn one into being a little bit of an aggressive, um, wanting, needy person. You don't understand. I feel like this. You don't understand. Every day I feel like this. If you keep doing that cycle, your life becomes a misery. Uh, the person with MS who realizes that it's nobody's fault that they've got MS and that you have to get on with it and that you have to, to uh, live with your family and friends in your, in your house and that you must make it as easy as possible for everybody because it's not the spouse's fault yeah. and that we must take care of the children in houses that grow up with people with MS. If one of the, not if one of the parents have MS, because this is primarily not a children's disease. Yes. So you grow up in this house where your one parent has a chronic condition which deteriorates. Yeah. The other one becomes the breadwinner. The other one becomes the sole um, look after the family type. Yeah. The one with MS has got this um, you cut me out of this. I can't make a decision. I've got MS and I'm dealing with myself now. So there's always this huge um, donga being formed. And the, the sad thing for me is the fact that uh, people with MS relationships in their marriages yeah. uh, are not naturally strong. They have to work harder than you and I who don't have that uh, challenge in our marriage. They have, and, and, and nobody's uh, educated to do that. You know, nobody's been taught that if you have a, a third partner in the house in the form of MS, the chronic disease, that you will have to work harder on your relationship. You will have to sit down and discuss and say, there are going to be days, I do feel like this, you have to understand. And the partner will have to come to terms with that. Like Christelle said, her partner has, from the beginning, been informed about what's going to happen. And he's actually amazing. There are many like that. But we're now talking about the challenges of people, and there are also many not like that. So part of what we do in the society is to almost sniff out those those situations because people don't naturally talk about it. Mm. So when I pick it up, then we do facilitating. We wish we were big enough in South Africa to have a center where we could do holistically treat everybody. Mm. But the, 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 the easiest thing or the... The thing that we have to understand is that our structure in South Africa is third world. And uh, sorry to say, but uh, MS has uh, always been regarded as a white disease. Mm. There is no support from our government side. They don't even recognize MS as anything. We fight to find uh, some airtime. Nobody knows about MS. Mm. So, so it's very difficult to help somebody in terms of come to us and we will, we have to facilitate. So we send them out to, um, to outside therapists like psychologists, but because MS is not well known, you can't send them to any psychologist. 
you have to start educating a psychologist in a area or city and keep referring to the same person so that they can also start experiencing MS yeah. and understand the challenges. So, yeah, it's quite a challenging thing, but we're succeeding with that. It's, uh, it's, I, I, I'm very, very fortunate to say that I've, I am surrounded by, um, unbelievable, uh, professional people who I can call anytime, night or day, and they would not hesitate to help us and, and step in and from, from uh, uh, Dr. Nita Rose who's overseas in, uh, she's my vice uh, chairman. Mm-hmm. She lives in the UK. She's a neuropsychologist. She lo- she works in, a, in an MS center. Mm-hmm. She visits South Africa once a year and come and do workshops with us. And she is well known already. And she's uh, at, a, at the click of a button, she's available uh, if anybody's in a crisis. So, and then we have the attorney. Uh, we have uh, legal services available. We have a fantastic um, communication line in on our Facebook uh, profile. We have a closed group of MSOs there mm-hmm. where you have to have MS and it's monitored. It's not just like any other, you know, people say, I'm not on Facebook. And I say, well, you know, you better do because it's important to understand if you use Facebook and Twitter right, it can be an amazing tool. Yes. And we have to move with the times. Yes. And it has opened the world to um, hundreds of people with MS in South Africa because everybody's got a phone. Yes. And a couple of years when I started that group, yeah. I was excited because I just knew that if I could put a phone in every MS's hand that I know of and I can teach them to go online, then I can speak to them whenever. And that was the amazing thing. So we have about 450 people in that group. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's a monitored group. We have had a study. The University of Stellenbosch, uh, Dr. Chris Pretorius has done a study and a published journal on the group, uh, on how people react, who's in the group, what information is available, how do they feel, um, how do they feel those that talk a lot, how do they feel those that don't talk a lot, why don't you talk a lot, when is it, you know, it's thank group. Um, I'm very, very proud to say the professionals inside of that group is also the on call. Um, there's people that say, um, I feel down. I think I'll, I'll end my life. I can't live with this image anymore. It's really upsetting. You can't say that in an open forum. Uh, you have to have these professionals uh, available to talk and step in and know what to do and how to handle it next. Um, yeah. And the rest of the group, as you can imagine, has learned so much. Because if you are in the company of somebody who is that down and out, you learn a lot from an experience. Yeah. And it's like a wake-up call. It's not like thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to live here anymore. It's about what about your family? What about life? What mm. about the people you love? What and about how you can forge ahead? How yeah, looking forward yes. with a positive attitude. I mean, I mean, the the work that you guys do is absolutely phenomenal. Um, I'm non, I'm really, really impressed. And I think what you highlighted about about the marriage, especially the marriage component. I mean, I'm thinking of sex life. I'm thinking of so many things mm. that once the communication has broken down, I mean, that marriage is all, it's, yeah, it's it's done. You know. It's, it's, it's over. But yeah, so where yeah. can we find you? Like, just give us your details. Where can we find you um, on Facebook? Where can we find you on Twitter? Just give us all your details so that we can put it out there and, and get people um, yeah, are more aware of the Multiple Sclerosis Society. Okay, quick. Our Twitter handle is ms underscore South Africa. Um, 
Our Facebook group is Facebook forward slash um, multiple sclerosis SA. Um, if you type in multiple sclerosis SA uh, on Facebook, we'll jump up immediately. We are uh, very active. Mm-hmm. Um, one, once you leave a message there, we will get hold of you and we'll tell you all about the other stuff. Um, we have a 24-7 telephone line, which is a Cape Town number, but it's, um, it acts um, nationally. Okay. It's 021-948-4160. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, our, our email address is um, simply info at multiplesclerosis.co.za. Okay. And I'm so used to saying, can you spell that? And then I say, any <laughs> Okay. No, but thank you so much, Non. I mean, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, to share your information with us and really great stuff that you guys are doing. Keep up the great work. You're welcome. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, Dr. Cindy. Thank you. Bye. Cliffcentral.com.